0: Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And in those days cometh John the Baptist, proclaiming in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Reform, for come nigh hath the reign of the heavens. For this is he who was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, straight make ye his paths. And this John had his clothing of camel's hair and a girdle of skin around his loins, and his nourishment was locusts and honey of the field. Then were going forth unto him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about the Jordan. And they were baptized in the Jordan by him, confessing their sins. And having seen many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming about his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, Who did show you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear, therefore, fruits worthy of the reformation, and do not think to say in yourselves, A father we have, Abraham. For I say to you that God is able out of these stones to raise children to Abraham, and now also the axe unto the root of the trees is laid. Every tree, therefore, not bearing good fruit, is hewn down, and to fire is cast. I indeed do baptize you with water to a reformation, but he who is after me is coming. But he who after me is coming is mightier than I, of whom I am not worthy to bear the sandals. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse the, his floor and will gather his wheat to the storehouse, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable.
1: Good morning, morning. we are in the book of Romans, chapter 2, Romans chapter 2. Now you've noticed that there's a difference between chapter 2 and chapter 1, at least the end of chapter 1. end of chapter 1 dealt with uh, the sin of non-believers. Sins that are very much against our morals, what we believe in. Sins that they commit openly and, and encourage others to commit as well. Then chapter 2 began with a different tone, talking about those people who judge others based upon their morals, their morals, their good works, their good ideas, what they think should be, The rule to believe and to act by. And they dealt with uh, sins differently than the wicked sinners. They had self-righteous moral pride. Self-righteous moral pride. They have no excuse because they pass judgment on others. And the sentence given to those moral sinners is self-righteousness under the wrath of God. Same thing that happened in chapter 1 to the wicked sinners. They were under the wrath of God. And the wrath of God was present tense being displayed to them. And at the same time being displayed to the morally sinners. Uh, The logic of the first three verses in chapter 2 is a little confusing, but we've got to make sure we understand it. God's judgment falls on those who do these things. They do the things that they're judging people for. Even the self-righteous judge does these things. So sin is prevalent against in the lives of the wicked sinners and the moral sinners. <clears throat> Therefore, even the self-righteous judge stands under God's judgment. So everybody is going to be headed towards the judgment of God. Now let's pick up verse 3. Look at verse verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same thing yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? What is the ultimate truth? What's the ultimate truth about the judgment of God? What is the main thing to know about the judgment of God? The thing to understand about the judgment of God is that the wicked sinner and the moral sinner cannot avoid the day in court. They will spend one day before the judge. Both the wicked sinners who do sins outwardly And then the moral sinners who do things sinful in their hearts. They give the appearance of being sinless and judge others. Both the wicked sinner and the moral sinner cannot avoid their day in court. But do you suppose? Suppose is where we get our English word logic from. So it's a... It's a basically a Greek word talking about false calculations. They calculate things falsely. The moral sinners calculate that God will never ever judge them because they are good. They are good. They'll think they escape the judgment of God. The moral sinner joins God in condemning the unrighteousness of others, but then in his heart he practices the same Sin, practices the same sin. God, of course, cannot judge according to truth that we learned in verse 2 and allow someone who practices unrighteousness, verse 1, to escape judgment. He will make his day in court before God. The good person who uses incorrect logic to determine what is good and evil well, therefore, from a wrong basis, judges others and judges himself. So what will happen? He'll stand before God. Oh, man, you who pass judgment. Every moral sinner sees himself in a distorted mirror. You ever go to the, uh, the uh, what are they called? Come on. Fun houses, fairs, amusement parks. You ever go and look at the mirrors that make you look funny? Now, of course, I make those mirrors look good. But (laughs) that is an interesting point that's being made here by Paul. You're looking at a mirror that is not giving you the correct view. You're looking in a mirror and it's not giving you the correct view. You think you can miss the day of judgment by doing good moral things. And you don't realize that the good moral things that you try to do, you're still practicing the evil in your heart. You're still doing the sinful things. And that will not give you a true picture of, to first off judge yourself, and then won't give you the true picture to judge someone else. And we talked about that last week. You will not pass judgment. A moral sinner cannot rely on his imperfect human judgment even when he judges his own spiritual stand before a holy God. The hypocrite wants condemned sinners... Rather than pardon them or extend grace, he wants them judged. And he doesn't realize that he's laying up judgment for himself. A moral sinner's judgment never squares completely with the truth because he never knows the complete truth. And he thinks you will escape the judgment of God. Because of their moralism, they count on escaping God's judgment. Their moralism, they think God will let them off the hook. There's some kind of still, small, little voice in everybody that constantly convinces them that they'll be okay in the end. It'll work out. The little voice speaks from a person's fallen nature, constantly seeks to justify itself. And it tries to make a decision based upon their sinfulness, the sinfulness of somebody else, and tries to make a judgment based upon what they perceive as truth. And when you do that, what happens is you put more judgment on yourself. Why? Why? Well, Psalm 139, verse 7 has the answer. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. I make my bed in Sheol. Behold, you are there. If I take my wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Even there, your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely, the darkness will overwhelm me. The light around me will be night. Every darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as day, and darkness and light are alike to you. You think that you can get away with sin. And you know what you're doing? The moral sinner, you know what he's doing? I think he's judging like trying to be a court judge. What happens with a court judge? Well, first off, you commit a crime. Pick a crime, any crime. You are committing a crime. Okay, let's say you stole a car. Nobody in the parking lot. No one saw you. You stole the car. You think because nobody saw you that you can get away with it. That's one. You think that you can get away with it. That nobody saw you. Two, you think even if somebody saw you, the police might not catch you. Three, if it's possible for them to follow your trail and somehow arrest you, that maybe they do something illegal and a technicality you'll get off. Or four, You think maybe if they do convict you and put you in prison, maybe you can escape from prison. You think you can get your way out of problems. You think that little small voice in your head says it's okay. You can make it work. You can get out of the situation. It's just one little bitty sin. You can judge other people about it, but you won't judge yourself And you won't correct the situation in your sin life. And you think you'll never stand before God and God will never hold you accountable because God thinks like you do. And you think that His judgment will be just like how the judges in the legal system of America judges. The problem is, you can run anywhere and God's there. You can go far east as you want. And God's there. You can go far as west as you want. And God's there. You can go wherever you want. You can get a spaceship and go. And God's there. You can get into a, a, a device that will draw and drive you underground. And build you a hole. And God's still there. Everywhere you go, God is there. And God will judge because he not only hears your words, sees your actions, get this, he knows your thoughts. And still, we are tempted to judge other people. We hear something and automatically we judge them. We somehow put ourselves in a better moral state than those who sin. When in, in reality, the wicked sinner and the moral sinner are both sinners. good thing is, the Bible tells us the solution to the problem. You ready? You ready? Is the hole deep enough that you're in right now? Has your rocket ship gone high enough yet? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, our English versions translate these three Greek words a lot of different ways. Could be goodness, kindness, could be tolerance, forbearance, whatever words you got. We're going to talk about these three words. How will the wicked sinner and the moral sinner react to the kindness of God? What's the first reaction? Or do you think lightly? Do you think lightly? The first step, the sinner refuses the blessings of God. The sinner refuses the blessings of God. The natural state of sin causes you to reject, refuse, not want to have anything to do with the blessings of God. That's why non-believers will see a beautiful day, a beautiful sunset, a beautiful act of creation and they will not think about God at all. When your first thought is how beautiful, creative, powerful God is. The sinner refuses the blessings of God. Or do you think lightly? The first three chapters of Romans tries to get everybody to understand that no matter what category you see yourself in, you are basically a sinner. Or do you? From a slightly different angle, Paul puts his point differently in verse 4. Think lightly. Underestimate the true value of something. Good people, moral person, does not understand the kindness of God. The indicative, the way it's written in the Greek. If you were to translate it really using the way that it's the Greek language is, it would be, do you think lightly? Yes, you do. Hmm. Do you think lightly? Yes, you do. God does not avenge our sins the instant we sin. We do not get the wrath of God instantly when we sin. Without exception, every person who's ever lived has experienced the kindness, the tolerance, and the patience of God. Goes back to chapter 1. Remember the two things that non-believers don't do. They don't honor or worship God, and they don't thank Him. And still in chapter 2, we're doing the same thing. We do not honor or worship him, and we do not thank him. God does acts of kindness, goodness to us. He gives us blessings each and every day we live on this planet, and we do not praise him, thank him, honor him, worship him. We don't do it. We don't do it. Sometimes we think that we deserve the good day we had. Sometimes we think we deserve the bad day we had. We think somehow we earned it. When every day on this planet is a day where God shows His kindness to us. His tolerance to us. His patience with us. Without exception, every person alive, every day that you're alive you experience the kindness, tolerance, and patience of God. Every breath you take. Okay, here we go. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Everybody ready? You're going to hold your breath. On three. One, two, three. experienced the kindness of God, He gave you another breath of life. How should we respond to another breath of life? It should cause us to worship Him and cause us to thank Him. God is kind to us. And we do not worship and thank Him enough. God is the only source of kindness, goodness. He is the source of all goodness, all blessings. He is the source of it all. The moral sinner lives in sin and expects to escape punishment because he trusts that the blessings of God will continue and continue and continue and that somehow the blessings of god is connected to his moral goodness when the blessings of god is connected to god or do you not think lightly of the riches the riches the riches talk about his great abundance of goodness for mankind His riches govern all three terms, the kindness, tolerance, and patience. His goodness is what He gives to us. Turn to Acts chapter 14, real quick, real quick, hurry up. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. This is a good verse talking about the goodness of God. Verse 17. Everybody there? Fast, fast, fast. Acts chapter 14, verse 17. And yet he did not leave himself without witness. What witness does God leave himself with? In that he did good. He did good. God's goodness is seen in his acts of goodness. He gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Everything that is good God gives to you, it comes from God. If it's good, it's from God. God's goodness is seen in His blessings He gives to you, and all He wants in return is your worship and thanks. Here we go. Number two. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? The riches of his kindness. The sinner refuses the goodness of God. The sinner refuses the goodness of God. He thinks that his kindness will always be there. That his kindness, his God's love and action will always be there. And especially if he's talking to the Jews, the Jews have an example in the Old Testament of God's goodness, don't they? God was perfectly good in them. There was no reason for God to pick Israel, but he picked them and made them a great nation. He blessed them with kings. He blessed them with prophets. He blessed them constantly. Gave them the law. God's goodness was a benefit to Israel in the past. God's goodness is seen in his actions. For instance, if you're not a believer, you're not saved, you don't know Jesus Christ, uh, if you're still alive, that's a blessing from God by his kindness that you're not in Hades right now. By the kindness of God, you're not in Hades. You're on earth in good health, prosperity. This is the common good kindness of God. Kindness is doing acts of grace to benefit others without regard of payback. God is good. Uh, Matthew 11, you know this verse by heart. You remember it talks about the yoke of Jesus Christ. And what's he say about the yoke? He says the yoke is easy. That's an interesting word, easy. It's the same word we have here in this verse. We call it kindness in this verse. We call it grace. We call it goodness of God. It's the same thing in that verse. In the Fabara Standard Version, we're going to change that, okay? We're not going to make it easy. We're going to make it kindness. God's yoke is kindness, it's goodness, it's grace. That's the yoke that Jesus Christ has for His followers. My yoke is grace. My yoke is kindness. My yoke is goodness. The sinner refuses the goodness of God when they reject God. Keeps going. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance? And tolerance. The sinner Put it this way, the sinner, the wicked sinner and the moral sinner reacts to the kindness of God. The sinner refuses the truce of God, the truce of God. This is a good word, I think, for tolerance. Tolerance literally means holding back from or to hold up. God holds back the judgment which is due to crash upon the sinner In his guilt of sin. God holds back judgment. He calls a truce in the war. He he stops the punishment from coming. He implies something temporary. Which may pass away under new conditions. God does not punish the sinner immediately because of his sins. There is a truce. Before God judges the sinner. The wicked sinner is still alive. God is withholding a truce. The moral sinner hasn't repented of his sins. God is still holding a truce. He has not entered into his judgment yet. He's not there yet. It's temporary. Uh, tolerance is not forgiveness. Tolerance is is not peace. Describes God's patient and delaying judgment and punishment of people who sin and break the law. Third, fourth, whatever number we're on. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the tolerance and patience? And patience. How will the wicked sinner and the moral sinner react to the kindness of God? Number four, the sinner refuses the timing of God. The sinner refuses the timing of God. God's timing is always different than our timing, isn't it? I think you've noticed that. You pray for things. God's timing is different than your timing. Your plans are not necessarily His plans. And the person that is a wicked sinner doesn't understand the patience of God. The moral sinner doesn't understand the patience of God. They don't realize that God's patience is done for one reason. For you to repent. Patience is a length of time God will display his kindness and length of time that he'll display his tolerance and hold back due punishment. This emphasizes the person. God gives sinners time to repent. The moral sinning judge, by his judging, which is contrary to God, provokes the judgment of God. When you sin, it promotes the judgment of God. You remember the flood came? Noah came? Noah had the message? How long did he preach for? 120 years God gave people on earth to get in the ark and repent of their sins. How many did it outside the family of Noah? None. When the Old Testament and God had enough with Israel because they were not keeping the law, uh, the year of Jubilee specifically, they weren't keeping the law, they were breaking the law, how long did God hold off? He held off 800 years before he judged Israel and set them into captivity. Rather than asking why God allows bad things to happen to somewhat good people, I think the better question is to ask, why does he allow seemingly good things to happen to obviously bad people? Because that is God's patience and kindness and tolerance with us. He gives you time to repent he gives you time to repent here you go five or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of god leads you to repentance how will the wicked sinner and the moral sinner react to the kindness of god number five the sinner refuses the purpose of god They will give you all kinds of reasons why they had a good day. They will never give you God's purpose for the reason to having a good day. The wicked sinner will do their wickedness and go to sleep. The moral sinner will do their wickedness in judging people and go to sleep. And they will never think about the reason why God gave them the day they had. The only reason, the only purpose of a good day for non-believers is for them to repent. If you ever have a non-believer tell you this week, boy, what a good day it was. You tell them the reason why it was a good day. So they will repent of their sins. So they'll repent of their sins. Not knowing the kindness of God, not knowing. The moral person should be able to see they need a Savior, but they don't. They're almost, they're almost a willful refusal to see the kindness of God, to see the tolerance of God, to see the patience of God. It's almost on purpose. The moral sinner does not want to be shaken out of their self-satisfied, sinful state. They don't want to recognize the kindness of God. Because if they do, they'll know they need to repent of their sins. The purpose of kindness of God is not to excuse men of their sins, but to convict them of their sins. The kindness of God does not excuse a person from God's righteous judgment. Everything that goes good in a non-believer's life, everything is to get them to repent. And when they talk about a great day they've had, we should be able to answer the question they're raising. Why did it happen to you today? Why did you have a good day? Why did you win the lottery today? Why did you get a pay raise at work today? Why did everything go good for you today? The answer, so they will repent of their sins. So they'll get right with God. The ultimate act of kindness, by the way, was the sending of Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that they'll have a way to repent of their sins. Ephesians 2, 7, In the ages to come that He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate Kindness which leads you to repentance. The moral sinner disregards the real purpose behind the goodness and kindness and tolerance of God. It's present tense. It's to control you and lead sinners to repentance. It's not the judgment of God that leads people to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Sinners have misunderstood God's grace, mercy, and patience and turned it into an opportunity to sin rather than to repent. To repent, you understand what this word means? It means to change a mind and a change of behavior. It's an act of the will that turns from sin towards God. Repentance is being truly sorry about your sin against God to stop doing it and put your hope and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance is the submission of your will to God's will. Because repentance in your life will do a great, great work. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I'll wait. Matthew chapter 3. This is John the Baptist. He's preparing the way for Jesus Christ's ministry to come. And he's preaching repentance. And he says some very interesting things about repentance here. Repentance is not seen in a moral sinner's life. And it's not seen in a wicked sinner's life. And it's not seen a lot in churches today. There are things that happen when you repent. Matthew chapter 3, everybody there? Verse 8. Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now I know this is a farming term, and I don't understand farming, but... I understand fruit comes from what you plant. You repent, there is fruit that comes from repentance. It's righteous fruit. It bears fruit. It's the evidence of a changed mind and a changed life in regards to sin. There's a change that occurs. Verse 9. And not just suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father... For I will say to you, from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. We must have correct theology along with correct fruit. The theology here is that you don't get repentance fruit without repenting. You don't get fruit by being related to Abraham. You don't get fruit by your parents. You don't get fruit of repentance from your neighbor. You don't get fruit of repentance from the city you live in. It doesn't matter because it comes from your heart as a gift from God and it changes your heart, changes your actions and it produces a fruit. It comes from God. God can do anything. He can make children of Abraham from stones. He can change your heart in regard to sin. Sin is does not have to control you. Now, I'm talking maybe to some believers here, and maybe in your life you have a habitual sin. And it continues every Sunday, every week, every week. It doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, you still have this one sin that you keep doing. And that sin doesn't have power over you. What has power over you is when you repent of that sin. You can defeat that sin because there's fruit in keeping with repentance and sin is not a fruit of repentance. so that sin that you have a habit of doing, whatever it is, lying, gossiping, whatever it is, you continually do it every week you can stop the roller coaster. you can stop by truly repenting of your sins of Truly running away from that sin by the power of God. Turn Second 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Chapter seven, Second 2 Corinthians. If you get to 1 Corinthians, keep going. Second Corinthians, chapter 7. Everybody there? Verse 9. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. He's writing this to believers. If you have a sin in your life that's controlling your life, you need to be sorrowful over that sin to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to what this, the will of God. So you might not suffer loss in anything through us. So that according to the will of God, God doesn't want a believer sinning. He wants them repenting of that sin. He wants you to repent of that sin because repentance begins when? At salvation. It's a gift of God. It continues after salvation, Luke 17. Repentance is the message of the church. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed through His name, through the church. And everything we're trying to do is get people to repent from their sins. And if you're grabbing on to a sin that you keep doing every week, you're not helping the church. We're in the business of getting people to repent. Repent. Application. Will I praise God for my salvation, knowing that I did nothing to earn it or deserve it, and tell sinners that there is a path to God's blessing, and it begins with repentance? Let me say that again. Will I praise God for my salvation, knowing that I did nothing to earn it or deserve it, and tell sinners that there is a path to, to God's blessing and it begins with repentance. The greatest reason why you should not you should prepare to meet God is because you must meet God. You must meet God. And you have to have your sins taken care of. There was a story about a tribe that was in Russia In Russia, they had Indians like we had Indians in our nation. And Russia had Indians, and there was one powerful tribe, it was a very large tribe, and uh, had a very strong leader in that tribe. And he was uh, was leader because of his physical strength and also because of his fairness and impartiality. In his village, there was a bunch of thefts, that occurred in the village. And the ruler of the village tried to find out who was stealing. Couldn't find out. He kept trying and kept trying. And it kept going on. There were more and more thefts in the village. And the ruler, the leader of the tribe, couldn't figure out who it was. And finally... He said, if the thefts continue, we're going to punish you with 40 slashes if we catch you. And they kept looking for the thief, kept looking for the thief, kept looking for the thief. Finally, they found the thief. And it was the ruler's mother. Time came. To judge her. The whole village came out. To see what the the leader would do. They tied the mother to the post. They got the whip ready to go. And just before the whip came down. To the mother's back. The son stepped in. Hugged his mother. And took the forty Lashes. Now, when you sin, either a wicked sinner or a moral sinner, you deserve lashes. For one sin, you you deserve an eternity in the lake of fire. But there's somebody who takes your penalty from you. And He took your place on a cross a long time ago. Was also lashed in the back. But He bled and died and carried your sins so that you could repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would recommend you do it today. Because every day you don't do it, and every day you come to this church, you're heaping upon yourself more judgment. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ today, Father. I thank you for this time in Your Word. I pray, Father, that You would help us to understand how important the judgment of God is, because the day of judgment will come for everybody in this in this building. It will come, Father, for the believers at the bema seat of Christ, where we'll be rewarded for our works, and I. Know, Father, for a fact that if it doesn't happen, if you don't stand before the beam seated crowd, you'll stand before the great white throne and be judged. And the sentence I know already is an eternity in the lake of fire. Father, I don't want anybody I'm going to meet this week to be in the lake of fire. The only way they will know that there is someone with kindness... Tolerance and patience is if I tell them. Pray, Father, you help me to be bold this week to tell people about Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you help us as a church to be bold to tell people about Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we would be excited for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible this week. Give us the words to say. Give us the time to say it. Give us the opportunity to expound upon your grace and goodness and kindness and tolerance and patience. Because Jesus Christ took the penalty of our sins on that cross. We thank you, Father, for that work and kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.